Today's episode of The Mismatch is brought to you by the Google Assistant. The Google Assistant is ready to help you get more done with just your voice in the car, at home, and everywhere you take your phone. You can personalize the way you interact with the Assistant to help with everyday tasks. If I say, hey, Google, remember that Kevin O'Connor is KOC. Then when I need to call him on the phone quickly, I can just say, hey, Google, call KOC. A little help, hands-free. Just say, hey, Google, to get started. Today's episode also brought to you by State Farm. Just like basketball, the game of life is unpredictable. Talk to a State Farm agent and get a teammate who can help you navigate the unexpected and help you handle whatever life throws your way. Unexpected like Giannis Antetokounmpo pulling threes from everywhere last night. He's pulling them from 30 feet against the Lakers. Get a teammate who can help you navigate the unexpected. Talk to a State Farm agent today about combining your home and auto insurance. Welcome to the Ringer NBA Show. I'm Chris Vernon, and joining me as he does every Friday from the Ringer.com is Kevin O'Connor, aka Kevin O'Bomber, aka Kevin O'Conflict, Kevin O'Climber, Kevin Opinionated, Kevin O'Croissant, Kevin O'Candyland, Kevin O'Camera, Kevin O'Christmas. Kevin! <laughs> Berto, you got energy this morning. I'm yeah. feeling it. I'm yeah, ready. You know, I actually uh I loved watching those basketball games last night. And now we're about to be headed into the Christmas break. But before we get to any of that, um, I know you're very grateful for this holiday season back at home, but yesterday you tweeted out, I'll tell you this, Kevin, God bless you. You have had a hell of a 2019, um, and you've been very open about all of it. We know about uh, your father and the cancer diagnosis and then the dunked on cancer and all that charity and everything that did so well, and you've been keeping us updated on him. But now, Mom... Yeah, um, my mom had to have open heart surgery on Tuesday um, to have a bicuspid aortic valve replacement surgery. We we knew we knew for about a year before my dad got diagnosed that she had some type of you know issue with the bicuspid valve, which is in your in, in your aorta. Um, but it, it went from like minor to severe in like a year. So she had that replaced on a Tuesday in Boston and the surgery was a success and her recovery is going well so far, which is great to hear. And I mean, it's, it's interesting cause it's the doctor, the doctor said like her aorta or aortic valve was working so hard that her heart was starting to get like enlarged slightly hardened, which is something that like we've heard about in the NBA with like enlarged hearts that some a- athletes have. And I, I never heard about that with like a five foot seven woman, but um, she's been this year, just a absolute superhero. She's always been the best mom that I could ever ask for, but this year she's been a real superhero taking care of my dad with cancer. And it sucks to see her rewarded at the end of the year with having to get heart surgery. But, um, I don't know. It it just kind of like is a, is a, another way of looking at just how hard she's been working, taking care of her husband. So hopefully for her, this is a brand like a brand new heart and she has full of energy in 2020 and i i hope next year's better for our family than than this year's been but ultimately though chris it's like you know you and i talking about this throughout the year like you and i sometimes touch on our own our personal lives and just with you know me writing the article about my dad and like you know sharing this about my mom the the amount of people who 
reach out and are open and vulnerable and, you know, are, are just spreading love. Like that feels good. And like, despite all the bad this year that's, you know, happened in my personal life, there's still so many good little memories that we've had, you know, along the way. And that's because of like you, you people, the listeners sharing your own stories and reaching out as well. So that's made this year very meaningful for me. And I'm sure it has for you, Chris, as well. Um, so I just wanted to say thank you at the end of the year to everybody for helping make this year special, despite how difficult it has been. Yeah. Thank you to all of you. We got super, there's a, you know what? And it's a, it has been a tremendous reminder and it's, it's a shame. Sometimes it takes struggles to see, but it's been a tremendous reminder that, Generally, people are good, and there's an awful lot of really nice, caring, empathetic people out there. I think we can get caught up in this, you know, not to, not, not to get long-winded here, but you can get caught up in this bubble that just seems like constant negativity, right? And And people complaining about things and people being mean to each other about things, and yet you see... When, when push comes to shove uh, and and there's somebody out there that is hurting, the, the level of outpouring, it gives you a lot of confidence that there are so many good people out there. Maybe they're just not as vocal all of the time about the good. And uh, a lot of people that are re- very caring, very empathetic. And uh, I think, hey, look, I, I see it, you know. When it, in my own life, and I see it when it comes to you uh, regarding things that have taken place over the course of the year. And I'm glad that all that's all, all that surgery was successful. And here's hoping mom and dad can end up having an awesome Christmas with you. And then we head into 2020. Yeah. To, yep. Yep, time, time to turn the page to a new year and all of our personal lives and also in the NBA calendar as well. Another big year ahead. I'll tell you this, Kevin. Um, I got really excited last night to watch that game between the Bucks and the Lakers, though they had both dropped games right before. So they weren't on crazy win streaks going in. It felt like maybe they both lost games going into that looking ahead to this because everybody knew this is going to be a premier matchup and it is possibly an an NBA finals preview uh, when you get to see these teams and they're only going to play twice during the year. And it was the first Thursday night that we had without a football game on. So this was going to be center stage and it looked there for a while. I know NBA is always a game of runs, but it looked like a while uh, for a while, certainly after the second quarter, that the Bucks may drill them like they did the Clippers when they caught them at home earlier this year. But this turned out to be an extremely entertaining basketball game with a ton of stuff that happened. Do you look at it and say this was more meaningful than just a regular season game or do you look at it and say, look, in the end, this is a regular season game. So let's not draw too terribly much from it. I think it's a little bit of both Chris and that it's one game, but the bucks have now beaten the rockets on the road. They've beaten the Raptors. They've beaten the Clippers twice. They pummeled Indiana earlier this season. They beat Utah. They've beaten now the Lakers. So this is another sign of, of a team like 25 and four now. Best record in basketball is that not only should they be taken seriously as just perhaps a finals contender like we thought going into the year on the same level as the Sixers, Lakers, Clippers, but Maybe, maybe this team is a hair above some of those other teams because of not just Giannis and every single night, this guy is an absolute freak. He does something special. 
at this point, it's a broken record to talk about how incredible he is as a player. But we saw the depth of this roster and how they can match up against the team that is tough to match up against in the Lakers. Davis and James have have caused so many issues for opposing defenses this season, as they did for the Bucks, because that's what naturally happens. But we did see with Lopez and with their switchable wing defenders and somebody like Wes Matthews, has, who has been very good defending on the ball this year. The Bucs have the the weapons alongside Giannis to be a team that can dictate matchups and defend itself against tough matchups like a LeBron AD pick and roll. Yeah, you know, shout out to Wes Matthews, by the way. I'm glad you brought him up because yeah. I'm watching him he last night. And, you know, he got the huge contract despite the torn Achilles, and he's not been the guy he would have been, like reaching his destiny. He could have been. I know that that last healthy year – um, Dave Yeager said that he thought he was one of the best handful, like you could count on a hand how many two guards in the league were better than Wes Matthews because he was that sensational of a two-way player and he was drilling threes on a regular basis. And, you know, he's never going to reach whatever that pinnacle was, but this tells you how damn good the guy was because he has come back from Achilles and you watch him last night and he is just ultra solid, ultra solid. Um, And part of... Big winning right now. And you got to remember the Bucks say whatever you want. I know some people are more down on Bledsoe than others, but they were down a starter last night. You know, DiVincenzo started for them last night. So Bledsoe wasn't in their lineup. And when you talk about that level of depth that they have, I think the reason this one mattered so much to me to watch this is you wanted to see, you know, like you said, the Bucks have beaten all those teams. But are the Lakers the team or who's the team that can kind of match up with all of that and also maybe maybe just be a bad matchup for the Bucs? Like, who are the team that it's just a bad matchup? Sometimes teams can be great, but another team could play against them and they just got some the, the things that can cause them real, real problems. And last night, I mean, you see... Giannis, he's he's shooting from 30 feet. He's crowning himself. He had all this swag. And then oh, that was great. <laughs> and that depth that you talk about, that depth shows up because I, I'm gonna be honest with you. Anytime LeBron wasn't on the court, the Lakers are just not good enough to compete at the highest level. I know that sounds simple to say, but there are some of these other teams that their star can rest and they can get by. They look okay. And I know that in the playoffs you're gonna play a million minutes, but Jeez, man. It was almost every time LeBron wasn't on last night. I was like, boy, they better get him back on the court because they are not deep. They're not, especially without Kuzma. Sure. And I thought in last night's game, some of look, Rondo has been better than people expected this season after they paid him nine, ten million dollars over the summer. He's been better than expected because of his playmaking ability. But last night, Rondo was a total eyesore in defensive, on the defensive end of the court. On offense, when he was spotting up on corner threes, the Bucks were helping off him, completely clogging the paint on LeBron drives, on AD drives. And that is, was hurting the Lakers' half-court offense. Never mind, like I said, Rondo was being was so bad on defense and with the Lakers you mentioned well LeBron's off the court that's where Rondo's been helpful because because of his playmaking ability but I do wonder in certain matchups where you have 80 playing 43 minutes LeBron playing 37 minutes and come playoff time maybe those guys are cracking 40 minutes in certain series 
at that point, maybe Rondo isn't the answer for the Lakers bench unit. And you do need to increase minutes of a Bradley or Caruso, or maybe it's just going to a guy at a different position. Um, Last night's game, I, th- I thought for me, was a bad look for Rondo on both ends of the court, whereas the Bucks just up and down their roster, guys just fit into place around Giannis, who, who by the way, uh, I, know, I know I just said, like, it's a broken record for us to, like, just continue heaping praise against Giannis but in last night's game though hitting the five threes oh oh my goodness man some and some of the threes we talked about this last month he's hitting those one dribble pull-ups pounding the ball with his left hand and then going into a shot he had one last night off the right hand he had some off of multiple dribbles dribbling the ball backward from inside the three-point line oh my goodness man scary yeah, and I and I and I was reading something uh this morning and it was about his percentages. I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but as I I remember uh reading reading the the this article and it was saying he shot like, you know, 17% and then he shot like 30 something percent and now he's been shooting over 40% this month from 3. Like if this is if if he's going to be hitting threes at let's just even let's just even put him in the 30s, right? At a reasonable rate, he's shooting in the he's shooting in the thirties to where that is a an effective and dangerous shot, and you just can't sag off of him. I mean, forget it. <laughs> I mean, there is there's just nothing you can do against the guy because that was like his numbers right now is up to thirty four percent. So he's shooting thirty four percent from three right now. And all I'm saying is that like, the the way it used to be was your chance was to back off him and you'd be like well thank goodness at least at least we got him to at least, <laughs> at least we got him to shoot a three like we'll take it same way you did with LeBron same way you did with Westbrook like you know they, you feel like they're kind of bailing you out if they take threes um but if that's not going to be the case and you can't just leave him the room and back off of him oh lord <laughs> like <laughs> then what I mean, he's only playing like 20-something minutes a night or low 30s right now. I mean, so he's doing everything he's doing while only uh, while playing less than many of his peers. In fact, the number is 31 minutes right now. He's playing 31 minutes a game, and he's putting up 32 points a game. Just, just to put it into perspective, you mentioned Giannis's three-point shooting numbers. Before this month, he he had shot... 22% on catch and shoot threes, four of 18, um, and 23 of 76 or 30.3% on dribble jumper threes. And since uh, December 1st this month, he's seven of 10 on catch and shoot threes, 70%, easy math. And then 14 of 37, 37.8% on pull-up threes. And the majority of the threes he's still taking come of the one dribble variety or it's multiple dribbles and he's shooting off the left hand. But it does seem like, and this was my point in the thing that I wrote about Giannis's shooting last month. He's getting progressively more comfortable. Uh, what happened this season and towards the end of last season was getting comfortable shooting off the left hand. But if he, if he continues adding and he becomes comfortable off the right hand or he becomes comfortable off a, a crossover from left to right into his jumper, whatever the move may be, list anything you want. 
That's when we're talking about a guy who, like last night, was putting the crown on his own head. That's when he can take that leap to becoming the indisputable best player in the league. Right now, it's still arguable with LeBron James, even after last night's game. It's still arguable. But moving forward, if the shot continues expanding and he becomes a more dynamic player, as you just touched on, right now, Yes, the best thing a defense can do is sag off and still force him to make a three. But at this point, (laughs) he can make those people pay. And like, if you step up on him, it's still an aggregate loss for the defense. Because if you're contesting that shot, what's he going to do? He's driving and he's taking one dribble and he's dunking or laying the ball up or drawing a foul or kicking it out for an open three-pointer from a knockdown shooter. It's still a loss for the defense. You're still better off making him shoot. But it's getting to to the point where... Like, you're screwing yourself by not contesting him. So what do you do? What do you do with Giannis at this point? I don't know. I don't have the answers. I don't think anybody has the answers. And and here's the the wide view of this, Kev. So the first five seasons, he shot 28% from three, okay? Then through the first three months of last year, when he won the MVP, keep in mind, he shot 15% from three. Well, when the calendar turned, when it became January 1st, from that point on, he hit 32%. So the number doubled last year in once the calendar turned. And then as we mentioned so far this year, he's shooting 34% through their first, you know, 29, 30 games of the year. And so this number has ticked, you know, if we, if a year ago we're doing this and it's not in his repertoire at all. It's six. He hit. He hit sixteen percent for three months. For three months, and then he went and became reasonable. You know, thirty-two percent is reasonable. And now it's like, what? What's the trajectory though? Are we are we going to look up and this guy is is shooting threes at like a real clip? Like, I mean, it, look the the timeline. If you're if you're taking it from afar. You look at like where the number was and where the number it's, it's this slow progression to getting better and better and better at that. It's obviously something he's practicing all the time. And I mean, forget it. This guy, this guy is, I mean, it's historic what, what he, what he is already doing and what he can do. Because when you extrapolate what he is doing, cause you got to take it into consideration. He's playing less minutes than some of these other guys that are, that, that have better stats than him. Yeah, and, and that's, that, that was the thing I looked at last month on The Ringer. Since Christmas last year, and, and this number is slightly better now because of the percentages this month, but since Christmas last year, he's been shooting 41% on three-pointers off one dribble. Before that, the rest of his career, it was 23% off of one dribble. And and the majority of those where the are the one dribble jumpers off his left hand transferring to the right hand for a shot. And what he has gotten better at since even last Christmas is when he's dribbling three, four, five, six times, but he gets into that same motion with the left hand into the right hand. But if he can expand further from that, it, I don't know what you do as a defense. And it's at, it's again, it's at the point where if you contest that shot, Giannis has the move where if you step up on him, he's, he has the look like he's going into a shot, but then he just drives right past you. And 
it's scary. And he was right to put the crown on his head last night. He should feel like the best player in the world. And we're nearing the point, not there yet. I'm not ready to go that far, but we're nearing the point that it'll be the truth that Giannis will be the best player in the world. We're getting close, Chris. We're almost there. I think he I, is right now. I'm I mean, sure that I, I told I'm sure you, that, I, I, we th- the there's show. a lot of people who would agree with you. A well, lot of did, people. We, I mean, look, he's got to win huge. I mean, that is the, that is the yeah. step, but that's coming. Yes. That is coming because you watched last night. Who do you want him to face? I mean, he's facing LeBron and Anthony Davis on the same damn court and doing what he's doing. Like, who do you want, who you want to throw at him? There's nobody that's going to be better than that to deal with him. He is just he's spectacular. Now, here's the thing, Kev. I did think this. So, Davis went off after halftime. He was okay in the first half, but I mean, I think he had uh, 28 of his 36 in the second half. I mean, he really imposed his will and started getting to the free throw line all, uh, free throw line all the time. If we're looking at the long view on this with the Lakers, because look, when they've got LeBron and Davis on the court, they're devastating, and they are going to have those guys for big minutes when it comes to playoffs. But who's the third guy? If we've learned anything from history, you generally, you got to have that third guy, whether it's, you know, last year, Lowry will have some big games, Siakam will have some big games. Like there's, there's always a third wheel that's getting stuff done for you when you, because we talk about this team as a possible championship team. Who's the guy outside of Davis and LeBron that you, you count on the most or you, that do you think they're going to have to count on? Danny Green was good last night. Is it, I mean, if, I feel like it's probably Kuzma, right? Who's who's out of the lineup? I, I would hope it's Danny Green um, as your three and D guy who you know defends some of the opponent's better players, who hits spot up threes for you and reliably just spaces the floor for LeBron and AD. It's Danny Green in, in my eyes, but I think you're touching on that guy who steps up as the scorer more so than just yeah, right. the all around guy. Uh, like yeah, Kuzma. yeah, yeah. And in that it's, case. This is the long my issue with Kuzma. He's more like that spark plug. A lot of people think of spark plug guards, point guards, shooting guards as guys who come off the bench, but he's a spark plug forward. He's a guy who some nights is going to be a, you know, maybe a negative overall player for you. But there are nights he can pop for 25, 30 points and swing a game your way. And thus far this season, that hasn't really happened like it had last year for Kuzma. Naturally, when he had more opportunity, when he wasn't dealing with injury, when he was playing far more minutes, getting far more touches. But you do hope for the Lakers this season that Kuzma can get into that rhythm at some point over the course of the season and become that spark coming off the bench for your roster that every championship typically needs. Yeah, well, because when that that is the the juxtaposition of these two teams, right? That if you you feel like with the Lakers, they're gonna have to have somebody else that can go fifteen twenty because what the Bucks have is a bunch of guys that can go from they're gonna get you ten to fifteen points. That's what they're gonna do, and none of them scoring fifteen would be. If I told you Ilyasova scored fifteen, you'd believe it. If I told you George Hill, which he did last night, or. Um, you know, even Kyle Korver one night might get you 10 to 15. Um, and then you've got all those guys, Wes Matthews, Brooke Lopez, Middleton, who's better than 15. He's more towards 19. DiVincenzo. But the Lakers. Uh, on gonna- Cor- Corver, Corver, one thing. I always remember Brad Stevens said maybe four years ago, Corver might average 12 points a game, but you need to defend him like he averages 35. I, I just that's wanted fair. to point that because of his just shooting ability. The floor, yeah. that, that always sticks with me. Well, and, and, that's, the and thing the with, that's the thing with the Lakers. It's like, who's that other guy that when you get to 
the biggest games of the year, which last night was a huge game. Like Danny Green had 21 and Caldwell Pope had 18. But over the course of seven game series, when teams are planning against you, you know, there's only like at best you're getting like maybe you're hoping for a combined God, I'll even go high on this 55 to 60 every night from Davis and, and LeBron. The way the league is right now, you got to add up to get to 110. So you got to find the way you're getting the rest of the 55 points on a on a given night. I don't know, man. At least last night it wasn't it wasn't persuasive. It, 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 they're their team. They they just don't have they ain't got that much that I feel all that confident in stepping up for me. Their their bench is better than it showed last night. We're we're talking about this. Everybody's talking about this. The the morning after their bench had four oh. points. It was the worst. Like they, the bench had more turnovers. <laughs> Rondo alone had more turnovers with five <laughs> than the bench had points with four. The bench was horrific last night. Alex wow. Caruso is a better. player. Player than he showed. Well, but I don't it, need to see their bench versus Charlotte. Like, I don't give a shit what they do against them. I do need to see it against the Bucks and what it looks like. And I know it's ridiculously small sample. You know, that those are those are the best teams playing against each other. And I, I think the other side of this, and this sort of also leads into Rockets Clippers, I do think a team deserves credit in fighting back when they're down big on the road. Lakers did come back and, and get that came closer towards the end as Houston did against the Clippers. They just happen to come back with the win. No, it's totally fair. And okay, let's get to that Clippers Rockets game. This was, this was clearly a Russell Westbrook night because there are times where as many people as can get down on him, he can just absolutely impose his will on a game. And you got the best of Russ last night. Um, in a game that, you know, weirdly, uh, Harden only takes 16 shots last night. But it just feels like sometimes Russ, it, 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 I know he's got the turnovers, but it feels like he's playing at a different speed. And there's just times in those games where you just feel like he is, he's the guy. And even in a game that featured Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, there was just no taking your eyes off him. Yeah. And last night's game was, one of the, the best examples of the season we're pro- we'll probably see of the higher upside he can bring to the floor over Chris Paul. I think there's an argument to be made that Chris Paul, if you add up all the games together, it could be equal or near equal to as a point guard as Russell Westbrook. But Westbrook does that have that higher sailing that he can reach where he changes a game where he's getting to the rim at will, like he did it at certain points of the game last night, either in transition or in the half court, even sometimes when defended by Kawhi Leonard and stellar defenders, he was still getting to the rim. He has that ability where he can raise their ceiling, as Daryl Morey might say, increasing their risk profile, increasing their variance and what they can be as a team. Because that comeback last night was pretty sensational in that third quarter, obviously mostly driven by Russell Westbrook. I, I, I do hope for Houston we see more games like this from Westbrook over the course of the season where Westbrook and Harden can find better balance because you can't have Harden doing what he's been doing so far this season through April into the playoffs. There needs to be nights where Westbrook carries this team and these guys are able to balance each other out from now until then when the postseason gets going and then things get really serious. 
Yeah, he made some big shots, and he had 14 in the fourth quarter, did Westbrook. He also had another tense night with Beverly, who got ejected with a little less than three minutes uh, remaining after receiving his second technical. And then Westbrook was given a technical for taunting Pat Bev as he was getting out. I mean, we need we need this come playoff time, don't we? We need this. Please. Oh, by the way, yes. Lou Williams also, that needs to be mentioned, Lou Williams also ejected from the game. I mean, the Clippers just totally lost their composure last night. It's weird. I feel like Rockets and Clippers cannot have any normal games. It's just part of the rules. Yes. Something weird needs to happen. We need another tunnel fight. Or, or, or no. Oh, look, this, this, we, we need- this Beverly Westbrook thing is great with Westbrook calling him an overrated <laughs> defender, him getting thrown out of the game. I mean, by the way, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know what the – I mean, has Lou Williams ever been thrown out of a game? I can't imagine. Like, he just is not that guy. He's not a hothead, right? And so he obviously felt like it was egregious what was taking place against him. Um, but that's, you, as we know, one of the major, major advantages uh, for the Clippers. And Lou Williams only playing 17 minutes by virtue of getting thrown out with 11 minutes left last night. Um, because when him and Montrez come in the game, they're, 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 like, there's nobody in the league that deals with that well. Nobody. Their pick and roll is just... Beautiful, but um, like you said, with Lou Will out, that means more is on Kawhi and Paul George naturally. Uh, and we did see last night PJ Tucker against Kawhi Leonard was just absolutely sensational. I mean, the defense he was playing on Kawhi and denying the ball, fighting over screens to prevent switches. Oh my goodness, man. That's that's some of the best defense we're gonna see the entire year. What what a display from PJ Tucker, who by the way, has never been an all defensive player for a number of reasons. You know, maybe it's minutes, maybe it's because the, the team defense has not been as great, but individually. P.J. Tucker put on an all-world, all-world defensive performance last night, and I think he deserves to be in that conversation as an all-world defender and as a guy that gets honored with all defense at the end of the year because of games like last night. That was awesome. No, and it takes that kind of a game, right, where you're on a massive, where you're on a massive stage and people, like, wake up to it and, like, good grief, this guy. You see, the problem is you can watch the random Houston game. Like, they're Certainly that second half, they're locked in. If you watch the first half, you're not walking away going, anybody on that freaking Rockets team should be all defense. <laughs> I mean, they'll dick around in the first half a lot. But that second half, when it was time to lock down and it was time to make some plays, they did. And that's so that's what I'm saying. There's 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 too many Rockets games that you can watch where it's not just PJ. Like even if PJ was individually playing great defense, they'll let you score a lot of points. And so it's it's hard to gauge until it gets to these nip tuck games and you watch him in big moments versus the big stars and you realize how good he can be when when they are locked in. But they're that's not a totally locked in defensive team a lot. 
You know, sure. it's hard sure. to make all defense on the freaking Rockets. I mean, <laughs> we, we 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 saw that possession. I think it was maybe two two minutes, three minutes left in the game. Tucker fought hard over a screen set by Montrez Harrell, and he was kind of like just jabbing at the ball that Kawhi was possessing and knocked it away. And then Tucker clapped his hands KG style while Kawhi ran back and get it. And, and watching that, you know, it's a reminder of his versatility. He can defend the players like Kawhi Leonard, those beefy six, eight wings. He can switch onto the larger bigs like Anthony Davis and battle on the post. He can switch onto guards like Steph Curry and defend on the perimeter. Tucker has immense versatility to defend any type of player on the floor. And, and that's what makes him in last night's game, the best defensive player on the floor and one of the best defensive players in the entire league period. Do you think the Rockets are going to be better with the Westbrook version than they were with the Paul? Because, by the way, Chris Paul's had a hell of a week leading two comebacks, uh, first versus the Bulls, then versus the Grizzlies, to let to remind everybody. And, and, he, and he bought his whole team suits, which was a nice touch. <laughs> Dude, you know Steven, I mean? Steven Adams in the suit? But do you think, <laughs> do you think that this team has a higher ceiling and will be better than if they would have run it back like it seemed D'Antoni wanted to do. Yes, um, not because you put Westbrook versus Paul in a vacuum, but because this is the real world and Harden and Paul didn't like each other. Uh, and the chemistry, the human aspect matters a ton. And in that sense, it, it's pretty clearly that Houston is better off now without Chris Paul because of the relationship aspect. But if you're playing 2K, maybe you're better off with Chris Paul. Um, but we don't live in, in a video game here, so they're better off with Westbrook because of the personality factor. And that's why they had to make that deal. That's why they had to give up those picks because you weren't just trading for Russell Westbrook. You were, you were trading for the happiness of James Harden, too. And that's why they had to do that in addition to the, the raising of their ceiling, increasing their variance, however you want to put it. Houston raised their ceiling with, with Westbrook, um, and they would hope that pays off in a seven-game series against whoever it might be in the postseason. Thankfully for them, thankfully for them, like Clay's out, Curry's out. They, they, they can move forward this year and not have to worry about going past Golden State in the postseason. And of course, they have, they have more difficult foes, um, potentially, well, with the Lakers and Clippers. But without those guys, that's, that's been their kryptonite, of course. The good thing for Harden is when it comes playoff time and everything gets real tense, uh, unlike Chris Paul, uh, Westbrook's such an easygoing guy that probably won't yell in the locker room or anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's just he's so easy to get along with. Did you see last night, him, his reporter asked him about like the uh, him having like a tarnished relationship with Katie or whatever. And, and Westbrook's like, what are you talking about? I, 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 there's no proof of that. I don't, I don't have a tarnished relationship with anybody. That's me. He's always trying to stir stuff up. And oh, I'm like, gosh. dude, you had cupcakes, but your party on the 4th of July as a <laughs> shot at KD. Come on, man. Stop Come it, on, Ross. It was a very, it was a very fair question that that reporter asked. Media's fault. Um, yeah, all the all immediate fault. Yeah. Yep. Uh, all right. We're going to take a quick <laughs> break. When we come back, we do have to talk about some injuries that have taken place over the course of the last week, a potential number one draft pick that we won't see in college basketball and some other stuff. We'll do it after these words. This NBA season, Mountain Dew is all about the threes, the shot that's changing the game. And last night, 
The Rockets beat the Clippers 122 to 117, like we were talking about. They only shot 37 threes, the same number as the Clippers last night, and hit a lower percentage. They're still able to come up with the win. Brought to you by Mountain Dew, the official beverage of the NBA. Do the do. Today's Ringer NBA show also brought to you by Drinkworks Home Bar by Keurig. Much like a premium espresso machine, but it makes cocktails instead. There are over two dozen different drinks to choose from, so there's literally something for everyone. I can't wait to try all the different ones. Mojito, Moscow Mule, Old Fashioned, Long Island Iced Tea, Margaritas, you name it, they've got it. The drink maker creates bar-quality cocktails freshly made at the push of the button. And nobody uses their Keurig more in the morning for coffee than I do. And now they've got one for cocktails. The only way to get this amazing drink maker at a discount plus free shipping, go to drinkworks.com. Use our code RINGERNBA, R-I-N-G-E-R-N-B-A at checkout and save $100 off standard website price and get free shipping. Don't wait. The amazing offer won't last and it's only for our listeners. That's drinkworks.com and use our code Ringer NBA, R I N G E R N B A at checkout. And remember, please enjoy responsibly. Drinkworks Home Bar is currently available in California, New York, Florida, Missouri, Pennsylvania, and Illinois, with more states available for pre sale today at drinkworks.com. All right, Kevin, the next order of business at hand the Raptors are suddenly shorthanded. Marcus all out. Pascal Siakam out and the never like the word behind it, which is indefinitely. They host the Wizards tonight, but they have announced that Gasol, Siakam, and Norman Powell are all officially listed as out indefinitely with injuries suffered in their win over the Pistons on Wednesday. Um, Siakam, who's averaging over 25 points a game, uh, sustained a stretched groin after an awkward landing. Powell sustained a subluxation of the left shoulder. And then we've got Gasol with a hamstring. So, who knows? I mean, look, you never like indefinitely behind them because it makes you I know why teams do this, but it makes you conjure up thinking of the worst. This is this is a hell of a thing to have to deal with for. I mean, it, look, you lose one of them. OK, but losing Gasol Siakam and Norman Powell, I guess it's all going to depend on how long they are going to be without those players, but this is not great for the Raptors right now. Uh, I'm, I'm losing track of all the names you just said. All, all I know is that I'm excited for the OG and an show. <laughs> uh, uh, no, I, I'm, I'm serious. Yeah. I am looking forward to seeing what an OG and Obi can do with increased opportunity because without the guys out that you listed more is going to fall on his shoulders and there will be opportunity for him to do more on the ball. I would think, but beyond Ananobi, maybe you see a guy like undrafted rookie Terrence Davis come off the bench and get more minutes than he's received. And he's done very well with the opportunity provided for Toronto. This is still even with the injuries and like this could really knock them down from being in the conversation for the two seed to maybe being smack in the middle four or five. But I'm still looking forward to seeing what some of the guys can do on this team. They have a lot of young talent. And for Raptors fans, I, I think that's the silver lining here is seeing what guys can do with more opportunity. Just like in the past, you saw what's the flashes of what Siakam could do when Kawhi was out or in years prior um, and showcasing some 
ability beyond being a role player. So what can Ananobi do? What can Terrence Davis do? What can these young guys do with more opportunity for the Raptors? I'm excited to see it. That is uh, coming from a hardcore NBA fan. That is yes. for sure, because <laughs> I've got to imagine there's not a lot of ESPN people, uh, executives sitting around going, you know, these Christmas games, we got Raptor Celtics starting the day. Oh, really yeah. excited to see what Terrence Davis and OG Ananobi can do. I mean, this, by the way, Christmas Day is an unbelievable day for basketball. It's one of the things I really look forward to. But these games have, uh, outside of uh, Bucks, <laughs> Bucks Sixers and Clippers Lakers, both incredible. <laughs> I can't wait. Raptor Celtics has gotten ruined. Possibly, certainly. Uh, uh, Warriors Rockets, terrible. And Pelicans Nuggets, like nothing worked out. Nothing because of these Raptor injuries, except for the middle of the day game with Bucks Sixers and Clippers Lakers at night, which will be amazing to see those two teams playing full strength against each other. But those other games, holy mackerel. And 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 I'm sure we'll talk about this on next week's show. But those two matchups you mentioned could be uh, playoff previews or Eastern and Western Conference Finals previews, perhaps. Oh no, those two are great. I mean, but yes. I, and yep. I know, but you've got to be really looking forward to seeing uh, what Eric Pascal can do against the Rockets. On, well, <laughs> on Christmas Day, I mean, like, who gives a crap about the Rockets Warriors? That's terrible. No, I mean, <laughs> I mean, sure for hardcore NBA fans tuning our tuning, I tuning am in, a hardcore dude. NBA fan. I, if that game was on League Pass, I wouldn't flip it on. Well, they, I mean, if the Rockets were playing the Warriors in my backyard, I don't know if I'd raise the. Blind. <laughs> 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 oh boy, come on! I don't need it. You, I mean, I know I already know you hate watching Houston. So I mean, oh, it, and the Warriors—they're a bag and, of fun and, right and, now. And, and, yeah, of course. I mean, without without Clay, Steph Curry, no the Draymond. Of course, I mean Draymond being the only guy playing. Sure, I can understand, but there's still some interesting stuff to watch. Oh, D'Angelo for- Russell. I mean, <laughs> will it <laughs> for no. hardcore NBA fans? I had to finish no. my sentence for hardcore <laughs> fans. Oh, so you're really looking forward to that Nuggets Pelicans game too? I'll, I will, I'm on the womp East Coast, womp. so I will probably be sleeping. Uh, t- <laughs> 10.30 is past my bedtime on the East Coast. Oh, okay. So you're going to be yeah. you're gonna be sleeping for yeah. that one. Yeah, but, yeah. All right. The original point was this is now going to be you know a tough road, at least for a little while, when you're losing all those guys. Those are major, major pieces. You're taking 25 points out of the lineup at Siakam. You're taking your, your defensive backbone in Marcus Gasol and then Norman Powell. Um, who certainly plays for him. Uh, a couple other things I do want to mention today. First one, Stephen A. on ESPN did this riff uh, saying that the Pelicans should not bring Zion back at all. Last week we covered, um, and I just mentioned the Pelicans who happened to be scheduled for Christmas Day, which was so that they could put Zion on center stage on their big day. Um, he ain't going to be playing in that. We still don't know a timeline of when. He might be coming back, but there is at least a sentiment out there expressed by big me- some big media people. Reggie Miller said he won't play this year. Stephen A. saying, look where they are in the standings. He shouldn't play this year. Where do you come out on this? Do, should the Pelicans just decide, hey, we're going to do the 
the Ben Simmons thing, and we're going to have him be healthy, full version of himself for 2020, but bringing him back now this year um, might not be in the cards. What do you think? Whatever their doctors are saying is what they should do. I mean, if he, if he's healthy enough to come back and the risk the and the risk for re-injury or risk of a new injury is zero or insignificant compared to waiting, uh, then then I don't see the harm in bringing him back and getting him opportunity to play because if you're New Orleans, you expected to be more competitive this year and going into next season, you would again expect to be competitive. And so playing Zion this year could be advantageous for the following season, the 2020-21 season. You're building towards that point. And I don't think this harm in playing him as long as he's healthy. That's all that matters. No, this is a reasonable point because even if you just say, hey, he might be healthy, but we are going to be more cautious than ever given our standing in the league. It would be very beneficial to get a look at how he looks with this roster because given the disappointing season, you've got to make decisions on how you want to build around him. How do him and Ingram look together? Ingram's up for a contract and somebody's going to throw the max at him. And so how does he look playing next to Ingram? How's that fit? Um, you know, because you don't have a good enough sample on that. You don't have any sample on that. You want them to build chemistry. Yeah. Right? And, the, like, and the rest. Well, and also you got a big decision to make. Is that how you want to spend that money? It should be. Yeah, it should I, be how you spend I your think, money. I think so, too. But, you know, but you but you know, like, hey, what does this look like, you know, uh, with the roster that we have right now? And because you're building that team to best fit around him. But in the absence of him, how can you know? And so I think the sooner the better to get him on the court, just so you could do some figuring out of how you want to build for the future so that next year's not just this year. Exactly. I, I, I disagree with Stephen A. And you should play him if he's healthy. I mean, we're not a doctors. None of us are doctors. We don't have the medical information. If he's healthy and the risk for injury is insignificant, based off what he's coming back from, then he should play and build chemistry with these guys. And they're still going to lose games. They're still going to have an opportunity to get a high pick. He's not going to swing their fortunes so far, I don't think. I don't think that they pull themselves out of the potential of getting a top four pick in the lottery. Um, we'll see if that changes, but I would expect with the the, the potential of a holiday trade, they're not going to be very good. They're still going to have high draft odds, no matter what they do. Yeah. Yesterday, the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame announces eligible candidates for the class of 2020. They included some of the biggest names ever. Uh, Chris Bosh, Tim Duncan, Kobe Bryant, Kevin Garnett. Um, and then I thought it was interesting. The other two guys that they had like kind of on their poster that they put out, the other two NBA players were uh, Michael Finley and Sean Marion. Now, I think off the now off the top of my head, I would say Finley no. Marion, that's an interesting one. I doubt it just because I mean I don't I don't even know how many all-star teams Marion ended up making. What do you think's the number on that? Maybe maybe four or five. I mean, and he wasn't like an all NBA guy. Usually I mean he was it he was, was a four. I just part, it okay, up for four. Yeah, yeah, he's four. part of some of the I mean, most fun teams ever. And he won that title in Dallas and was a, not just like a side piece. Uh, uh, a side piece. He was, he was a big part of it. Oh, he did make two all NBAs in 2005, 2006. He was uh, 
third team All NBA, and he made uh, and then he won that title and he won four All Star games. I mean, he's one of those guys that I think we did this with Ginobili. I remember, and obviously Ginobili's career is better, but. You look at it and you say 15 points, 8.7 rebounds, 1.2 assists. He's better than those stats. Anybody that watched Sean Marion, and I, that's why it gave me a second to go, huh, I need to go look at his numbers and see where he ranks. But I thought that was an interesting one that they put in there. And, of course, they've got Swin Cash and Tamita Catchings, both all-time greats um, on the women's side that are up for it. But I thought that was interesting that those two guys were mentioned. Bryant, Duncan, Garnett, and Bosch. Those are 100% no-brainers. Yeah, all of them should be in. And and I would put Sean Marion in, too, for a lot of the reasons that you stated his his elite defensive ability. He was really a, a player ahead of his time. Ima- imagine him in today's league, the way in which we would talk about him as a player with his defensive versatility, with his, with his ability to make plays off the dribble, with his competent three-point shooting. We, we would talk about him in today's league as one of the better players in the game, like a top 15 guy, I would think with the nature of today's game. Um, But in that past, like he was obviously a great player, probably maybe a bit of an underrated player in his time. So it's nice to see him get recognition as a potential hall of famer. I would put him in. I would put him in. Would you, would you have him as a hall of famer? You know, I I would listen to the argument. Uh, Looking at the accolades, it's hard to put him in there. It is. I mean, he, but in fairness, they put Mitch Richmond in the damn Hall of Fame. So, and he never won nothing. So this guy was this guy was a winner, as you said. He's a great player on both ends of the court. I, I would. It's one of those that I would not have a problem with. How about that? Is that fair? I'm trying to look to see defensive teams. I, did he not make all defense teams a bunch? He did not make one. I mean, that's incredible to me. Mm-hmm. He's such a it good is. defensive rebounder yeah. and. I guess that was the, you know, remember how we were talking about PJ Tucker when you play fast, score a lot of points. Everybody thinks about you for offense that you don't, you're not going to get necessarily the credit you deserve. But I mean, his teams were better with him on the court and God, that, that Oh five Oh six season is unbelievable. That's immense. 22, 22 and 12. I mean, you think about it though. Think about those errors and obviously every year is different, but just pulling up the list, you get like KG and Duncan at the forward spots. You got, you know, Dwight Howard at a center position, Karolinko, Meta World Peace. There's a lot of great defensive players that were on maybe getting more minutes or perhaps getting more, just had better name recognition. It was a lot of, like I said, I think he was an underrated player at the time. I just don't think he got the credit necessarily that he may have received it. And he was, and he was on Phoenix too. He was a great individual defensive player on some average or below average defenses. His peak was just amazing. Seriously. Like really from year two all the way through. I mean, this guy was reliable as hell and he was durable as hell. He played every night. I, you know what? You could, you could convince me that, uh, you know, I, I don't want to demerit a guy because he played 16 seasons and ended up being a fantastic role player for a lot for those. Sometimes guys, when they're, when they're, when they're that good, it's very difficult for them to find, you know, just being uh, one of the guys and, and, and a role player. But he, I didn't realize he played five seasons in Dallas. He had five extra seasons. And he was still always scoring double digits for you at a good percentage. So I don't know. I could be convinced. I could be convinced. I, I, I but I might be higher on him. I loved him as a player. 
it's unbelievable. And, and and also on Kevin Garnett, um, my first basketball game seeing live was against the Timberwolves. So it was Celtics, Timberwolves. I forget if it was 1999 or 2000. I know Minnesota won the game. Kevin Garnett had a great performance. Um so it's cool to see him now on the ballot uh, when he was one of the reasons why I really first fell in love with the basketball in the first place was seeing him live. Uh, always have loved Kevin Garnett. I thought I remember arguing on forums back in the day during s- certain seasons in Minnesota that he was actually better than Duncan. Duncan had the better career. Duncan is the, be- the better player. But I think there were a couple of years in Garnett's peak individual seasons in Minnesota where he was better. Uh, he just was on worse teams. It was sort of like the, the Randy Johnson, Roger Clemens, Cy Young argument in the early 2000s. Uh, when, and KG at his peak was just on another level. It was incredible. And I would just alert, I would alert everybody, if you have not listened to the podcast with him and Adam Sandler on with Bill, it is absolutely unbelievable. <laughs> it's so funny. He's man. such a good storyteller, and he is he is so dead-ass serious all the time. I love the guy. Um uh, he, it's one of the, it was such a good pod. I usually listen to podcasts on like one and a half speed or one and a quarter, but that pod I listened at normal speed because I wanted to hear the the nuance of all their jokes of their banter back and forth. I wanted to make sure I heard and absorbed every single word Kevin Garnett was saying. I'm sure a lot of our listeners listen to us on fast speed, Chris. That is a pod to listen to on normal speed. It's just incredibly funny. KG and Sandler have such great chemistry, um, and, and Bill steering the conversation was just really an, an enjoyable listen. It was great. Last thing we need to get to, James Wiseman announced that he is leaving oh, yeah. the University of Memphis. This is a potential number one pick in the draft. You are a draft, Nick. You are one that comes up with lists and uh, compiles them and alters them as the year goes on. Wiseman, I mean, it, look. There's nobody that doesn't have him in the top five. Most people have him in the top there, three. There, uh, there's some. There's some people in the NBA. Really? Who don't, yeah. There's there's some who are not high on him. Does it matter to you that you will not see him in college in terms of evaluation? It matters. It, it matters because I would have liked to have been able to see him sustain the high level effort that he showed early in the year through his three games. He was playing hard as you saw right up the street from you in Memphis, Chris, he was playing hard. And that was a question about him at lower levels. Sometimes he would go in and out of games and I would have liked to have seen that over the duration of a full season. Um, But with that said though, we, we have seen players give poor effort. Ben Simmons comes to mind. Number one playing for LSU. He did not try on the defensive end of the floor, but he has now become one of the best defensive players on the planet. Super versatile, plays with effort, plays hard, is constantly engaged with Wiseman. It would have been nice to see. It wouldn't have guaranteed that he would do that or wouldn't do that in the NBA, but but I would have liked to have seen that. And, and I think there's other areas on the offensive end of the floor. I would have liked to seen what he did in difficult matchups, maybe when double teamed, how would his passing developed? I would have liked to seen his decision-making, how many of his moves were premeditated, how many of his moves were coming against rea- reacting to a defense and adjusting ac- accordingly. Little things like that over the course of the year we're going to miss out on um and that disappoints me but with that said he's obviously a top five talent and obviously a guy that is should be a lottery pick on everybody's board and very well could still end up the number one pick in the draft 
because of his elite talent level. Um, but there are questions that I would have liked to have seen answered over the course of the year that we're unfortunately not going to be able to see. And we, we lose out on that as NBA fans, college basketball loses out on that as well. It's yeah. just a, a disappointment well, for everybody, except hopefully for Wiseman himself making the best decision for his own life. Yeah. I mean, the only game that we saw him in that like the Oregon game, I guess, which was, you know, I mean, he had, he ended up getting in foul trouble, but he had monster, monster numbers. And I've probably seen more of him than most people just because of the high school basketball scene around. But here's, I keep coming back to this, Kev, like you do have to figure out where, where James falls in, in the landscape when you are using that high of a pick on a guy, because if you're not a, if you're not a Davis, if you're not a Towns, if you're not an Embiid, one of these guys, like that's what you need to be. This is a perimeter game now. And so how, how, how much impact and how great can you be as a guy that is a close to the basket player? Obviously those guys, the ones I mentioned have, have stretched it out more, which people will argue he will have to too. But I mean, I just, you look, you look at the way this NBA is being played right now and using the super high pick on the big guy, that guy better be awesome. Like super awesome. And even then, you know, we saw Davis. I get it. They didn't build around him. Well, they haven't built around towns. Well, but I mean, these guys, they never won nothing. I think they were certainly better prospects than James is. I'm leaning a lot more towards the perimeter guys. Now. I mean, look, Go back a couple of years. You think everybody wishes they would have taken Luca instead of Aiton and Bagley? And those were big guys. By the way, yeah, and by the way, from that draft, the third leading scorer in the NBA is Luka Doncic, and the fourth leading scorer in the NBA is Trey Young. Trey Young, yep. <laughs> I mean, and it was big guys that went ahead of them. It, it, it's it's interesting because you look at the top of the draft this year. You have Wiseman who played three college games. LaMelo Ball, who played zero college games. R.J. Hampton, potentially top five pick, zero college games. Cole Anthony, out with injury right now. Of course, he he is playing college basketball, but could miss six weeks, maybe longer. Who knows? Has only played nine college games. It's just been really not very fun <laughs> watching high level talent in college basketball this year. Cause there hasn't been much of it. I know and it's disappointing. It has been a dud. Uh, Kevin, it is always a pleasure. I hope I have a great weekend and I'll talk to you right after it's over before we get into these Christmas games. I, I'm looking forward to it, Chris. Uh, have a great weekend, everybody. And, and thanks Steve for producing today. Thanks to everybody for listening to another episode of The Mismatch. If you dig what you're hearing, go give us a rating and review on iTunes. Five stars, five stars. It really helps. And we will talk to you next week. 